Welcome to this week's message on Brit David Podcast. We are glad you have chosen to join us as Pastor Tim shares a message from Luke chapter 5, verse 1 through 11, entitled, Here They Come. Jack Graham once said, If you can't see it before you see it, you will never see it. He was talking about the relationship between faith and expectation. As we look at this episode between Jesus and his disciples when he told them to launch out into the deep, that relationship between faith and expectation is what we are talking about in this message today. Here's Pastor Tim. That is good, good. Let me invite you to take your Bible this morning and turn with me to Luke chapter number 5. Luke chapter number 5. Elijah said, I hear the sound of the abundance of rain. And he said that when the sky above him was cloudless. Jesus said, lift up your eyes and look at the fields for they are already white unto harvest. So he looked over a field that was not ready for harvest except for the men who were coming towards him out of Samaria. When John received a glimpse into the future, he says, I looked and behold a great multitude which no one could number of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed with white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. I think about Jesus telling Thomas, Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Exercising your faith leads to expectation. Exercising your faith leads to expectation. That's why the psalmist encourages us first to pray and then to look up into heaven. He says to pray and then expect that God will act. Does your belief where you are right now, does that lead to great expectation on God's part? I want you to know that I still believe. I still believe that God wants to save people every day like He did in the book of Acts. I still believe that He wants to save people at least every week and add them to His church, to this church. I still believe that this building could be filled to capacity multiple times every single weekend. I still believe that God can send revival to our city. I still believe that God wants to do a work of spiritual awakening around the world. I, I still believe that Britt David can have a significant impact on our city, on our nation, and on our world. And I still believe then that we need to prepare for them. We need to prepare for them to come, young and old, men and women, rich and poor, White and black and brown and yellow. I still believe that God wants to do what only God can do. It's as if I want to look ahead into the future and say, Here they come. Here they come. 
And yet today, my eyes see empty seats, and my heart or my ears often hear heartless songs. Not today, that was good. (laughs) That was good. I cannot say that my faith is unshakable because it's not. So when I look at this passage in Luke chapter number 5, I cannot come down too hard on the disciples. And I can't not be both amazed and inspired when they step up to the challenge. That's the thrust of today's passage. Let's get caught up with where they are. Remember, Jesus has already claimed in that synagogue in Nazareth to be the Messiah. He demonstrated that in Capernaum by demonstrating his authority over demons and then his authority over disease. Today, then, he calls upon people to place their faith in him. If he really is the Messiah, then what does that mean for us? Luke chapter 5, verse number 1 says, Now so it was, as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two boats standing by the lake. But the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then Jesus got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. You see the scene, don't you? What a difference that he finds in Capernaum than in his own hometown of Nazareth. In Nazareth, as he sat and taught those disciples, or sat and taught those in the synagogue that day, that he is the fulfillment of Isaiah 61, the Bible says that they all arose out and they thrust him out of the synagogue and they tried to push him to the edge of the cliff and over the cliff to get rid of him. In Capernaum, there's a, there's a multitude of people that are there. Did you notice that in verse number one? And notice this about it. They are pressing into Jesus so that they might hear him teach, that they might hear him preach, that they might see him, that they might observe him to do something that is unusual, something that is godlike. There's an expectation that they have. And yet, then we run into these disciples. It's early in their life, and they don't have everything down pat. They never will, and you never will either. But boy, we find in here ourselves. We find in these disciples the tendencies that we ourselves have. In fact, I want to share three of those things with you today. Let me go ahead and give them to you. Number one, I want you to see that the disciples were somewhat reluctant. The disciples were somewhat reluctant. If they had heard someone say, here they come, while dreaming big dreams about what God might do in their midst and in their future, their immediate response would have been the kind of responses that you and I are all too familiar with. I mean, you've been there, haven't you? When the cold water committee has come around, you know they are, right? 
They're the ones that throw the wet blanket on somebody else's enthusiasm. They're the ones who are convinced that God's not going to move in an extraordinary way. And he's certainly not going to do anything that is observable to them. Listen, in this passage today, people are already seeing people come to Jesus. The disciples are already seeing that. I mean, in verse number one, there is a multitude. In verse number one, they are pressing into here. In, in verse number one, they are interested in hearing from the Word of God. So it's not that the disciples see nothing happening. It's not that they can look around and say, I don't see God doing anything. I haven't seen God do anything recently. I don't see God doing anything now. And I don't see that he's going to do anything in the future. That's, that's not where they are. I mean, they're at a point where they could say, I see God at work. I see people being drawn to Christ. I see people being interested in what God is doing. And so you would think then as a disciple that we want to take now the next step. And they are just, as I put in your notes, somewhat reluctant to take the next step. I mean, before we get into Jesus' instructions about launching out into the deep, notice where Jesus is. He's already on the boat. He's already stepped onto the boat, and he sat down there to teach. He's asked Peter, as Simon, Simon Peter, he's asked Simon to, to push out just a little bit, give him just a little bit of more room so that he might teach them effectively. It reminds me of us. We're, we seem to be willing to do a little. We seem to be able to, to even be willing to push out just a, just a little, as long as it doesn't, you know, inconvenience me really, as long as it doesn't call on me for great sacrifice, then I'm okay with that. I'm all right to let Jesus use the boat. I, I'm all right to let the boat get just a little bit out. But if it's not our idea... And if it's not something that I didn't want to do in the first place, then I don't, want to know, I don't know that I want to do very much more. Verse number four, however, you find Jesus' requirement. And then verse number five, you do get to see their reluctance. Let's go to verse number four. Now, when Jesus had stopped speaking, in other words, he stopped speaking to the multitudes. He's finished his lesson. And it says, then he turns and he speaks directly to Simon. Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. That's what Jesus wants. That's what he desires. Launch out into the deep. and Watch God do something miraculous. And Simon sounds exactly like we do. Simon is a Baptist. <laughs> when we get to verse number five, and it says, But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Those words sound familiar to you? Words of reluctance. We have toiled. We've worked, Jesus. I mean, we've, we, we've, we've tried. 
We tried to do that. We tried to reach those people, and it just didn't work. I mean, we even scheduled a work day, <laughs> put, it on the, put it on the calendar. I mean, we've been really busy lately. We've been busy doing a lot of stuff. Maybe, maybe it's time for a rest. It says, we have toiled all night. Jesus, we're tired been at this all night. We, we just can't do anymore. I mean, a person can only do so much, right? Maybe it's time that we let other people do our work for us. We have toiled all night and caught nothing. We've been unsuccessful. It doesn't work. I mean, we, we, we spend all this money and all these events and we just don't see any bang for our buck. We don't see any result for our or any return on our investment. We toil all night and we caught nothing. That's what we say to the Lord. We've tried. We're tired. We were thwarted. Now we're going to terminate it. We just quit. We don't, we don't want to launch out into the deep because even being here with the little hasn't produced anything either. They are reluctant because of bad experiences. Because they've been in a church on a Sunday and it was boring. Because they've been involved in church work and it's been too much. Because they have put themselves out there and they've given themselves over to be tools and to be used of the Lord and suddenly it just didn't pan out the way that they thought it was going to be and so let's just don't do anything anymore. I understand their reluctance. I feel their reluctance. I speak sometimes their reluctance. But I'm glad to tell you that the story doesn't stop there any more than the verse stops there. So number two, the disciples were somewhat reluctant, but number two, the disciples were submissively responsive. They finally did respond, and they responded with submission. In fact, the very best word in verse number five is the next word where we left off in our reading. It's the word nevertheless. Nevertheless, in this context, is such a great word. It's a word of hope. It's a word of trust. It's a word of sacrifice. It's a word that is preparation for action. It's a way of them being able to say, I have plenty of reasons not to do what I'm supposed to do, but I'm just going to do it anyway. You know? Nevertheless, I want you to see something here. It's not just simply their will. It's not simply that they just want to serve the Lord so desperately that they're willing to say, okay, Jesus, we'll try again. That's not, what, that's not what's here. He says, nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. At your word. Listen. In humanly speaking, they could have easily been offended. 
They could have easily just, just, you know, just kind of disregarded what Jesus had to say. I mean, here's a trained but out-of-work carpenter, a, a, a preacher wannabe, that now is trying to tell the fishermen how to fish. Who, 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 is, who is this guy to tell him how, how to do that? You know, it's like me trying to tell Sean how to fish. <laughs> Sean better not listen to me because I don't know one thing about that. The nevertheless is not there because of the instruction. It's not there because of the task. The nevertheless is there because of the person who is speaking it. He doesn't say nevertheless because you're a better fisherman than we are. Nevertheless, because you see the fish that we don't see. Nevertheless, because you've had experience that we haven't. No. Nevertheless, at your word. Because of who Jesus is. It's not because Simon's saying, well, Jesus must know fishing better. What Simon's saying is, no, Jesus, you are better. Because you're better, because of your authority, because of who you are, we will do this. By the way, the best word might be nevertheless, but the real key word that's there is the word master. When he refers to him as master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Then the only right word to say is nevertheless. If he is the master, then I'm simply to obey, right? In your New Testament, <clears throat> there are seven different Greek words that are all translated into English as the word master. Let me give you a quick rundown. One of those words that we call master just simply means a teacher. One of those words means a lord with a with a little L. It's a person who has and who exercises authority. One of those words means a person who has absolute ownership and uncontrolled power. You know, all of these really are going to fit Jesus, right? There's another one that means, it's more personal, it means my teacher, my master. It's a title of respect. Then there's a word which means a guide. A person who goes before you. One of those words means the pilot or the steersman of a ship. It's a word which came to mean the word governor. And then there's one of those words, master, and it's the one that Luke uses here in this particular passage. There's one that means a chief, a commander, an overseer, a boss. When Simon refers to him, he is recognizing Jesus' authority over him. It's more than just an acknowledgement of him telling him what to do. He sees Jesus as his commander. He sees Jesus as his boss. He sees Jesus as the one who has unlimited power. And because of that, he's willing to let down the net. Let me mention this to you. 
to be submissively responsive, as I say in your notes, the disciples were. And they are, as this passage continues on. But while you're here in verse number 5, it's not the disciples, it's a disciple, right? It's just Simon. We are not going to be submissively responsive to God as one great big unit, are we? But you can be, and 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 I can be. It's personal. Do you notice what Peter had to say, what Simon said? Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word... I will let down the nets. I will. So that means that no matter what happens in the life of the person who's sitting next to you, in front of you, or behind you, even if they refuse to be submissive to the Lord, even if they refuse to acknowledge who He is, even if they refuse to budge one inch, you can still say, Master, at your word, I will let down these nets. At your word, I will launch out into the deep. At your word, I will recognize that what I see with my eyes right now is not what you see in your plan for the future. What I hear in my ears right now is not what you want to say to us for the future. By faith, I see it. By faith, I hear it. And so I choose the choice of obedience. Obedience will not happen on accident. You choose to obey the Lord. When they are submissive to Him, and they are responding to Him, it is a matter of obedience. Look at the beginning of verse number 6. And when they had done this, when they had done this, when Jesus says, talking about fish, here they come. It's not going to matter one bit unless they push out there into the deep where the fish are and let down those nets. As all those men from Samaria are coming to Jesus, it's not going to matter at all until they hear Him. And they say, now we believe not because someone else told us, but because we have heard for ourselves and seen that He is the Christ. It's not until you choose to obey that God will give you power to obey and then He will give you the object of that obedience. 
Join us tomorrow for the conclusion of Pastor Tim's message, Here They Come. Pastor Tim would love to connect and share with you about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and how you can know that you know that Jesus is your Savior and Lord. That address is churchoffice at brittdavid.org. We are located at 2801 West Britt David Road, Columbus, Georgia, 31909. Thanks again for joining us here on Britt David Podcast.